guys so much for coming on today. I'm so excited. I feel like I know you already. I know. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Through my brother, I'm like, we are connected. You are so fucking gorgeous, by the way. Thank you. Right back at you. I'm like, you look so, you always look good, though. Every time I see you, like, on on social media, we've never met in person, which I don't know if was possible. But every time I I see you, I'm like, she's so beautiful. I saw your post this morning on Instagram, no more filters. No more filters. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, Morgan, because it's like, I remember talking about this with my sister where I was saying, you know what? Like, I don't even care that these filters change the way I look like. And I remember saying exactly what I said in the Instagram post, which was like, when I look at myself and I see that reflection of this like airbrushed version that like everything looks like I'm contoured and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. Like that looks like what I feel like on the inside. And I'm like a confident person. So I'm like, there she is. And then when the filter goes off, I'm like, Ugh. and at first I, that's really what I thought about it. And then I started realizing over time that it was almost like I relied on them so much that without it, I didn't feel confident in the way that I looked without it, which was so dumb because I'm definitely not that person. And I definitely don't feel like there are things about myself I want to change. So I was like, if there's something that's making me feel that way for the first time in my 36 years, I'm going to go ahead and say bye-bye. So yeah, for, and I, and I joked, I reserve the right to use a fun filter whenever I damn well please. But, um, but for right now, I'm just not going to be doing it because yeah, I don't know. It was an interesting realization only over the last couple of days that I started realizing it. And I was like, screw that. Yeah, I feel you. I I get it. I've been using them a lot recently and I get Mm -hmm. comments. You don't need filters. You don't need filters. But I feel the same way where I've, I've been pretty confident these last few years of my life. And, uh, before all these filters, like it never bothered me. And, Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden I feel like even with makeup on, like it, it, sometimes when I don't have makeup on, I, I use them. Um, but recently I've been using a lot more, even with makeup on. And I feel the same way when I don't have a filter. I'm like, Oh, like, yeah. How I feel like I look like when I look in the mirror and then I look on the screen, it's different. <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly it. That, that was the whole thing in the beginning is I was like, I don't think that that's, that's not actually me. Like that doesn't even look like me um, when I wasn't using it. But, but yeah, yeah I, I think it just plays, I think it just plays uh, mind games and. Right. Oh, it totally you know. does. It does. Yeah. You're right. Um, and I think that we should all, yeah, stop using And, and a lot of people will say, when I have a filter on, they'll comment and say, your skin is so beautiful. And I'm like, it's a filter. And so it made me think when I post things, people are thinking that that's really my skin or that's really how I look like my nose, you know, how it like chisels. Exactly. Thinking then people are feeling bad about themselves Mm -hmm. because they're thinking that, you know, it's just not good. You're right. Yeah. 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 I mean, everyone, everyone should do exactly what makes them feel best. And so while it made me feel good, I had no issue with using it. But as soon as it didn't make me feel good, I'm no longer using it. But like everyone should do exactly what makes them feel good in the moment. You know, like that's, that's really all it should be about, but just pay attention to your own cues so that you realize if there's a shift suddenly know yourself well enough to catch it and make a change. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Ben is your brother. He's the producer of this podcast. Yeah. So that's how, you know, we know each other. Exactly. Um, so just watching you over the years on Instagram, you are the 
do-it-yourself, the DIY queen. I love it. You have <laughs> the best ideas. I don't know how you always come up with new ideas. It's oh, every, every day I'm like, wow, like you've never. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but I love, I love everything that you've done. I know you were on, was it uh, HGTV for a while? Oh, uh, it's called the, um, it's called Home and Family. It was on the Hallmark Channel. It is oh, on the Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Channel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've done that and you have like your YouTube with your do it yourself. And um, I just, what I admire about you so much is we are all like, this podcast is all about being inspired by people like you who I just watch you and I think, man, you have figured it out. I mean, you are such a successful businesswoman. I can see the confidence in you every day on online. You just seem so sure of who you are and what you want and, and strong. Then you also, I see you with your kids and your husband and you're just like this sweet motherly um, person as well. You have these different sides to you and it just really seems like you have figured it all out. And I know for a lot of listeners, we're struggling to like, balance everything and have time for everything and not feel mom guilt if people aren't with their kids enough and then feeling like well I, I have this idea this business idea but I feel like I can't do it because of this or whatever and so you seem to find time for everything and so I really just wanted to hear more of your story of kind of how you got into you know all of this and uh, like what inspired you to do everything that you've been doing and uh, how you balance it all. So I would just love to hear your story, like from the beginning of, of your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, uh, 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 first thing I'll say is um, I appreciate it, but I definitely don't have everything figured out. I think um, it's still a evolving process. It's a really fluid thing that changes on a day-to-day basis. I try to listen to my gut as much as I can um, because I am a gut person. Not everyone is. Some people are analytical. They need to really weigh the facts. I'm really a gut check person. So I try to listen to myself and my gut and make decisions based off that. Um, so I definitely, I don't think anybody, no matter how much they seem like they have it figured out, probably nobody feels that way on the inside, right? I'm sure it's one of those, it's just one of those things. Um, so I'm happy to share kind of what I do and how I feel like I'm able, I have been able to find balance, but I will, um, like you said, start a little bit from the beginning. So my family is basically a family of entrepreneurs. My dad is from Israel. He moved to the U.S. after the army when he was about 22. Didn't speak the language, uh, didn't know anybody, moved to Chicago, really, really did what he had to do to create what in his mind was the American dream. He took English classes at night. He worked at a full service gas station in Chicago. And, you know, I remember him saying people would buy him gloves because his hands would be like frozen pumping their gas. And, you know, they would buy him gloves and the people that knew him took care of him. And and he started this business, which was the wallpaper and paint business. And it started off with him by himself. And that was part of the reason he wanted to learn English was so that he could be this person going into people's homes and speaking the language and making people feel safe and comfortable. And, you know, he started off as a one man crew and would just work through the night to get a job done in a day and then started needing help and started needing help and eventually moved to California where he met my mom. And that's where my mom is from is here, Southern California. And my grandmother is where it all starts as far as the creativity in our family is concerned 
concerned. She is an incredible artist. She's a painter by trade. She makes costumes for the McCollum Theater in Palm Springs still. She is an art teacher still. Um, she's just very, very creative. And she sort of passed that down to all four of her kids. Uh, my mom has a sister and two brothers and my mom's sister and one of her brothers are, and my mom are very, very creative. And then that really was, was passed down to me. And my parents were both entrepreneurs. My dad again had wallpaper and paint. My mom became a general contractor when we were kids. And so this idea of like entrepreneurship was all I knew. You know, I didn't have parents that worked nine to fives that had um, pensions and healthcare and, you know, benefits and structure and bosses. Like, I just didn't know that world at all. It, it's, it's so foreign to me. And so, you know, I always kind of in my mind knew that there would be something creative. When I was younger, I thought I wanted to act. I took acting classes. I auditioned. I did a couple of things. And it was really because I felt really comfortable in front of a camera. And I like to entertain. And I like to like be the center of attention. And all those things feel really good and natural to me. But I really wasn't any good as an actress. <laughs> like, I, it's like, ugh. you know, if it was basically like a 15-year-old lighthearted girl, I nailed it. If she was like a tortured soul and needed like a Chicago accent, I was screwed, you know? Um, and so, you know, I started, I always made my own clothes. Like that was always something that I did. I never had the money to own the clothing I wanted. And so from a really, really young age, I would go to thrift stores and I would buy stuff and I would cut it and chop it and change it and turn it into something that was totally one of a kind, um, that was totally me and, and all that stuff. So all of the fashion stuff started when I was younger and when I was in high school, when I was a senior in high school, I started my first clothing line. And it was basically one of a kind vintage reconstructed pieces. I got picked up by a really amazing boutique in LA and was selling these pieces. And I decided to move to New York when I was 19. And things were different in New York. Thrift stores were not the same. Stuff wasn't cheap. Like I, it, the business structure that I had created with my clothing line wasn't really feasible. Um, and so I was kind of stuck in not knowing exactly what to do. I was bartending um, full time and trying to figure out kind of where to go from there. And I got a opportunity to be on a show called Fashion Star, which was on NBC. It was actually the hostess at the bar that I worked at. Um, this guy was like trying to get in her pants and was saying, you should be a model on this show. And she's like, boy, I'm five, four, you know, I'm not supposed to be a model. You're just trying to like, it's not going to happen. She's like, but the girl that works at this bar with me is a designer. <laughs> and so she, uh, put me in touch and I ended up on this show on NBC and it was called fashion star. And basically it was, it was way before it's time. I mean, I think if it came out now, it would have been a huge success. It only did two seasons, but it was hosted by Elle McPherson and the judges, the mentors, kind of like the voice, the mentors were Jessica Simpson, Nicole Ritchie, and John Varvatos. And then the judges were H&M, Macy's, and Saks Fifth Avenue. And it was a buyer from those stores. And we would design clothing. And if the buyers liked it, the buyers would bid on it. The show aired six months later. So during that time, they were actually in production, making the clothing, and then the clothes were in the store the next day. And I did that show and um, I didn't win. I think I came in fourth place or something like that. And when they went on to season two, they reached out and said they wanted me to host kind of a like behind the scenes series 
Um, and that was my first time hosting anything. And what was interesting is it was that realization in that moment of like my experience acting was coming into play, but I was doing exactly what I was good at, which was basically being myself. I didn't need to be the tortured soul. I didn't need to do all the stuff that I couldn't do. I was just being myself on camera. And so then that's when hosting stuff started. And then I uh, got my own show on E! that I hosted with Kristen Cavallari. And I was there for about a year and a half. We did that show, again, only one season. And I thought that was going to change my life. And it didn't. It was one season. What was that called? The Fabulist. It It was kind of like fashion police, but for trends. So we would like talk about a trend and then we have like a panel and we would, it was sort of, it was supposed to be like funny and playful, but like, is this cool? Is this stupid? Like what's going, it was like a really fun, lighthearted late night fashion talk show. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it sort of felt like all my dreams like came true. E is such like a great network if you're a fashion focused person and you know, we did one season and then it was nothing. Um, and, and while I was there, I got to do things like, you know, fashion police with Joan Rivers and live from the red carpet for the Oscars and and all of that stuff, which was very cool. But, you know, what's interesting about all that is I definitely felt like a fraud when I was there. Like, I definitely um, felt like I was pretending to be a fashion expert. You know, like DIY wasn't a thing yet. It wasn't my thing yet. And it wasn't a thing yet. You know, it was like, I just basically was uneducated is like the way I felt. I never went to fashion school. I never learned how to design properly. I cut and chop things up on my floor. I don't do it the right way. I, you know, I don't know the history of these designers. I'm literally Googling how to pronounce designer names before I hit the red carpet. So I don't look like a fool. Like I was putting on an act that I was this like fashion person Um, because I didn't really have examples to look at, to say like, oh, you can be a fashion person without being a fashion person, you know? Right. It was weird. It was a weird sort of, uh, it was a cool experience, but I definitely didn't feel like myself. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was putting on, you know? Yeah, I get that. I get that. I kind of did the same thing. I've talked about it before with photography where I kind of faked it till I made it. And I would have people that, you know, I, was once hired at Laugh Factory and the comedian that hired me said, do you know how to take photos without a flash? And I'm like, of course. And then I went back to Google it because I really, you know, when he asked me what I did, I I wanted to do photography, but I was Mm -hmm. a nanny. And I said, Oh, I'm a photographer. And I kind of faked it till I made it. And I feel the same way. I felt like such a fraud until I really like learned what I was doing. So I, get it and it affects you it affects you because you just feel like you're lying to everybody in a way yeah and I think there's a I think there's an important difference between the work that you were doing if being a photographer truly felt authentic to who you are and the kind of work you want to be doing you're just don't have all the answers yet that's fine I felt like I was pretending to be an expert in a category that I frankly don't give a shit about like I really don't care who's wearing what. I really don't. I care what I'm wearing. Yeah. Like, I care what I'm wearing. I don't care what you're wearing, frankly. Right? Like, that was not my... So, standing there talking about, like, oh, in the 2006 Oscars, Jennifer Lawrence really made a splash where... Like, 
I don't fucking care. You know, it was like, so to me, it was, this sounds good. This looks good. This is impressive, but it's not impressive to me. I thought it was impressive to other people. So I think that was the thing was the realization. It's just that thing that happens. I think as you get older and you start to know yourself better, you start to realize what you actually care about and you feel more confident saying, no, I don't care about that stuff. You know, before that, you kind of feel like you're supposed to. Right. That's how I like, feel yeah, yeah. my 30s. I don't know if that, I feel like when I turned 30, something, a shift happened where mm-hmm. I stopped doing what I thought people wanted me to do or wanted me to say. And I started actually doing what I wanted to do and saying what I wanted to say and speaking yeah. up for what I like, what I don't like, what I want to do, what I don't want to do. Um, something about your thirties, I feel like you can, yeah, the shift where you just don't care anymore what people think you want to do what you want to do. Yeah, no, I think it it has a lot to do with age. I think it probably only intensifies as we get older. I'm sure it's only going to be stronger and clearer when I hit my forties, when I hit my fifties, you know, so, but it's a process for sure to realize why you're making the decisions you are. You know, and it was interesting because when um, my contract at E ended, I ended up going over to, to Home and Family, which is that show on the Hallmark Channel. And it's a daytime talk show. And the, a girl I went to high school with was one of the talent bookers there. And she was like, you know, I know you're doing like fashion stuff. Like, would you want to maybe come on and like show people like how to make stuff? Like, it wasn't even like, do you want to do a DIY segment? Like, it just wasn't a thing yet, really. Like, it wasn't a huge category yet to the point that like, that was a no brainer to have that content. And so I was like, sure. So I went on and started doing it. And the EP of the show, um, well, actually... I mean, it doesn't really matter, but I had started doing it when I was still under contract with E and the EP on, on Hallmark wanted me to join the show. And I said, well, contractually, I can't do that. And so once my thing ended at E, I was in a position and I joined the show as a cast member and I've been there for seven years and, you know, it's really grown into something where I learned so much on that show about my own skill set. Like I think in the very beginning, I had a very limited skill set because again, I'm self-taught, true DIYer, like figuring it out on my own. And so I kind of had to put everything through one very particular lens, one very particular skill set. You know, if I, I had, let's say 10 skill sets at my disposal, and if I wanted to make, you know, if I wanted to make a skirt, if I wanted to make a jacket, if I wanted to embellish this, if I wanted to redo a lamp, whatever, it had to funnel through one of these very specific skill sets I had. And over the years, the skill sets doubled and quadrupled. And I now feel like I can do pretty much anything. And when I created my YouTube channel, it was very, very much in a response to my experience at home and family, which has a very particular audience and has a very particular type of content that makes sense. And I have a very particular aesthetic and I have a very particular desire of what I want to do. And I felt like the YouTube channel provided to me the opportunity to do those things, to brand myself in the way that I actually am, you know, to present to the world, my style, my aesthetic, my language, my vibe, for the next job. And so it was in large part a reaction to a job that I loved, but that had very clear parameters because I was working within one, one space. So then I started the YouTube channel. It's called the DIY designer. It's I've got about 350,000 subscribers. It is an awesome, awesome project. It's so fun. It's so creative. I do videos every week and 
you know, it's, it's provided to me a, a huge, um, creative outlet and also financial, you know, it got me to a place where financially I was able to take care of myself where should I get fired from the show or if the show gets canceled, like, okay. Yeah. Which was really liberating. It's amazing. Cause then you, it's kind of like, this is what you were meant to do. And in, in your entire life, like it was just like, you were falling into situations that would help you along the way to get to where you were meant to be. And yeah. now you get to do what you love to do. It probably doesn't even feel like work and you get to support yourself doing it and not really have, it sounds like have to have a boss, like you're your own boss. It sounds like at this point and mm-hmm. are able to do what you want to do and not what someone else wants you to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, that's one of those things it's again, it's the, uh, it's the importance of knowing yourself, you know, you have to know kind of what you need and what you want so that you can create for yourself the life that feels balanced. Like I think the reason why it maybe appears as though I have it all figured out and have balance is that I'm really clear on what I like and what I don't. Mm -hmm. I am a selfish person. I'm not going to do something I don't want to do. I'm not going to carve out time for a project that doesn't feel like the right fit based off where I want to go and what I want to be doing. If it's not the right fit, I'm out. It's it, no problem. But so my days are filled with the things I want to be doing. So it's easy. And even when you think about, you know, being a mom, being a wife, there are certain elements of being a mom and being a wife that I absolutely love and are so fun. And there are certain elements that suck. Like not everything's fun. Those are the things that I do my best to delegate. I'm lucky enough that I've become successful enough that I can afford to have someone come once a week to clean the house. That is like my greatest joy that there are certain, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't mind cleaning up. I don't mind doing the laundry. I don't, but like, I don't want to do deep clean. I'm cleaning up after my kids all day. I don't want a full designated day to clean my house. Lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm in a position. I can have someone do that, right? Like the things that really don't give me joy I delegate so that I'm not resentful right. of doing it. Right. And I think people are so, um, cause I, I have friends that have kids and they have full-time jobs and they feel guilty for spending the money on a housekeeper, but they hate that they have to spend their one day off cleaning and then they don't get a chance to spend time with their kids or their husband. And I, uh, I encourage, like I even, I live, by myself with my little puppy and I have a housekeeper that comes and I will clean and and do my laundry and all of that stuff. But like, I hate the deep cleaning as well. And it's just me. Like, I don't want to spend my one day off cleaning showers and toilets. And so I just same, like, I'm like, I don't, I, I do my best. Like I'm blessed to be able to, to afford it. Um, but I try to just, be happy every day and the things that I don't want to do, I really try my best to like, yeah, not do. Um, if I can, if I can help it because every day you just need to, I've, I've, I've like just read the four agreements. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. read that. Yes, 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 I have. I love it. And, and it really made me see that like certain people that write me on Instagram and I feel like I, I want everyone to like me and like, feel like I'm Mm -hmm. nice and I feel bad ignoring them. And so I write back and then they kind of take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And, 
And I have learned that like, if I don't feel like writing you back, I'm not going to anymore. And if I don't feel like cleaning, I'm going to, if I'm in a position to hire someone, I'm going to hire someone. And it's really helped a lot for me to be happier in my everyday life. And I know so many people that do things because they feel like they have to, or to make other people happy. And I'm so over that. Yeah. (laughs) It it takes you know, uh, two things. One is it takes a lot of strength to um, try to get to a place where you don't care so much what people think about you. Mm-hmm. I am not there. I'm definitely not there. I still care. One of, one of my biggest triggers is feeling misunderstood. Mm-hmm. If I feel like someone doesn't understand my heart mm-hmm. and my intention, mm-hmm. I obsess, right? Like I don't care if we get in an argument And we just disagree. But if you think that I'm the kind of person that, like, if you misunderstand me so much that you think I'm the kind of person that would say this or say this, like, I'm like, wait, what? No, that's not what I meant. Like, I, that's very hard for me is I feel like not everybody has to like me, but you at least have to know who I am and decide you don't like who I am. Don't misunderstand me and then say you don't like me. That's hard for me. But again, that I shouldn't give a shit but I do. Right. Like, but I do. And so that's a very hard thing. I think it's exceptionally difficult for women because we are just sort of brought up to kind of be people pleasers and make things better for everyone else and sort of not inconvenience anyone. And always, you know, it's a lot. That's why I feel like Ben is so He's so thoughtful and generous because he had, he was raised with two sisters. It was almost like he was raised the same way. Ben never wants to inconvenience people. You know, if he needs to ask something, he always gives the, we always joke, we'll give the out like, hey, do you think you could move the meeting to two? I mean, if you can, I totally understand. And it's really no problem. And I'll figure out, you know, it's like. Same with me. I'm like, Ben, it's fine. If you need to move it, move it. But he's so nice about it. Every time it feels so bad. If it's an inconvenience you know, can we move it 30 minutes late? If not, I'll figure it out. Like no, exactly. 30 minutes, Ben, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard, right? It's a hard thing. We all do that. We don't, we, we want to be, yeah, we want to be liked. We want to be understood. We want uh, people to only say good things about us. Like that's definitely, you know, a big part of it um, for sure. And, and there's one thing I wanted to say when you were talking about you know, choosing, right. We're talking about having someone clean the house, not right. The, the thing to me that for everybody, for anyone listening, it's really about prioritizing, almost doing the opposite of prioritizing. Like what's on the bottom of the list that, that gives you the least amount, not only gives you the least amount of joy, but actually ruins your day. Mm-hmm. Like what are those things and where can you sacrifice elsewhere in order to afford the help to take that off your plate? Where can you trade services? Where, like, Be creative. Maybe you do a swap with someone. Maybe you offer to babysit someone's kids so that they can come clean the house one day or like whatever it is. Try to be creative about really getting clear, almost make a list from top to bottom of passion and joy and freaking disdain. Right. And like, what are those things? And start from the bottom. It do, you don't need to take everything, but start with at least that very bottom one to give yourself a little bit of an out mm-hmm. so that you can, it, maybe, maybe it's requiring everyone in the house takes on the responsibility, right? right? Maybe, maybe financially it's just an impossibility. Okay. If you don't live by yourself and you have a husband or you have a partner or you have kids, 
yo, everyone's taking on a responsibility. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. Well, and, and you might have a spouse that like loves doing laundry, but you hate it. So you, yeah. you decide who's doing the laundry and who's doing the dishes. Like, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. definitely ways to make your life easier. You just have to communicate with your partner and communicate with your household. Yeah. And delegate. So with all of this, like you did get married at some point and you did have two beautiful kids. So when did that happen? When did you meet your husband? I met Mike when I was 19, which is insane. I'm 36 now. When you moved, that's when you moved to New York. Did you exactly. meet him in New York or LA? Yep. I met him in New York. Um, I moved to New York and I was going to film school. And I worked at a, the, the school that we were at was basically like, you guys can't have a job. You're going to be in class all day and making movies on the weekends. But that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't a possibility. I had rent and, you know, um, food and I, I need to make money. So I, on Craigslist, found a job for a jello shot waitress. Very classy. <laughs> and my very first day the, I get an address. They say, you've got to go down to this. It's so shady. When I think about it now, I'm like, I cringe, like thinking of my daughter. They're like, you got to go down to this apartment on the Lower East Side. Here's the apartment number. These two guys live there. They're going to give you a suitcase filled with jello shots and a couple of cans of whipped cream. You're going to get on the train. You're going to go to this bar. You're going to ask for this guy. You're then going to sell the jello shots. Call us when the night's over. We will meet you you keep the tips, but otherwise you don't make any money. So it was basically $3 a shot, $2 goes to the guys, $1 goes to the house. So I keep tips. So my very first day I am at, I get placed at a bar called McFadden Saloon. It's on the corner of 42nd and 2nd. I go, I mean, it takes me 20, 30 minutes to get there because it's cross town and freezing cold. I'm in a freaking mini skirt and boots and a coat over me and a suitcase filled with jello shots, like a total loser. And I get to the bar and there's some guy and I meet this guy. It's not Mike. I meet this guy and I start doing the jello shot thing. And within like, I don't know, 45 minutes, I sell out of the shots. And so I call this guy and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like I sold out of the shots. And he's like, you sold out all the shots. He's like, you sold all the shots already. He's like, no one's ever sold all the shots in a night. Like, what do you, and he's like, I'll bring you more. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like next time, give me more. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm done. I'm done for tonight. It's like, okay. So I make a lot of money and I'm like, cool. And then I just kind of like hang out at the bar. So McFadden's becomes like my spot. They basically just put me at McFadden's every week. And I'd say after doing it for maybe three or four weeks, Mike becomes the GM of that bar. Mm. And they are now giving me like 350 to 400 shots. But they say to me, Hey, McFadden's really only thinks there's 150 shots instead of giving them that extra buck a shot. Why don't you just keep the dollar a shot, including your tips? Like just give them the 150 at the end of the night and it's fine. And I was like, okay. I mean, I knew it wasn't right, but I was like, okay. <laughs> so I do it. And then Mike who, you know, anyone that really knows Mike is, this is no shocker. I go up and he goes, Hey, Mike Murphy, nice to meet you. And I'm like, Hey, you know, Orly, hi, I'm the jello shot waitress. He's like, okay, uh, why don't you open this up? I got to count your shots. And I was like, and he's like, I got to open them up, open the Tupperwares. I got to count how many shots do you have. And I did that like quick talk, lying, try to cover yourself thing, you know? And I was like, well, I don't even know how many shots are because I don't count the shots. The guys pack the shots in that apartment downtown. Like, I don't even know what I, and I just started like, cause I knew I was like caught, you know? <laughs> and so Mike comes, he goes, there's 400 shots here. You said 150. And I was like, 
that is how many there's supposed to be. Okay. I'm not the shot maker. I'm the shots. Like I tried to be like, turn myself into like the dumbest girl ever. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, I'm caught. And he just sort of like laughed. And he's like, okay, nice try. Like get out there. So he and I just started like joking and talking over the course of, of me working there. And I was making really a lot of money, but it was, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot on me. Like, I see, I think because I was the jello shot girl, there was a perception of who I was and I was treated a certain way by all the guys in that bar, not the people that worked there, but the customers. And I was grabbed and groped and touched. And and I was very, I was having a really hard time with it. And so on St. Patty's day, when the bar has a 24 hour license, literally it doesn't shut down. And I had been working a really long time and there were so many people that you couldn't walk. And I had been some, a couple of things had happened physically um, and I was outside and I was crying and he came up to me and um, told me to go home and offered me a job as like a waitress there. I was like, you can just be a waitress and you can work any shift you want lunches. Like you don't need to do this. Like you can stop doing this thing. And so he gave me a job and then he and I started working together. And it was one of those things where I realized I like him because I kept, if he was closing at night, I offered to be the closing waitress. If he was opening, I offered to come in early. Like I just realized I wanted to be around him and we started dating, but I always knew I was only going to be in New York for the course of my film program, which was only about a year. And so I didn't, wasn't, I was really trying it for it not to be anything serious. Um, and then I went home after about a year and a half and we just sort of stayed in this like long distance relationship accidentally in this long distance relationship. And I broke up with him a bunch of times because I kept being like, this makes no sense. Like Mike is 13 years older than me. He's Irish Catholic. He's from New York. I'm Jewish, 13 years younger than him from California, like artsy fartsy. He's like blue, you know I mean? We were like, couldn't have been more different. And I just kept being like, this makes no sense. You're there. I'm here. I'm not moving. You're not moving. Like what the hell are we doing? And so I kept breaking up with him. And every time I did, I just kept finding my way back. And so I ended up getting an internship at SNL, which I ultimately didn't take, but it had, it was moving me back to New York. And I said, you know what? I'm going to come back out. We're going to see if this is for real or if we're just like good because we're always on vacation when we see each other. Right. And so I moved out and I, uh, while I was looking for a place, I moved in with him and was looking for an apartment and I never moved out. And we got married in 2010 um, and got pregnant. I got married right as I turned 26, got pregnant at 28 with Connor. Then we moved back to California when I got pregnant. Um, And then we had Blake two years later and now we're in LA. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I know. It's crazy. I love stories like that because again, it, I feel like your whole life has been like, even if you try to, to get away from what's meant to mm-hmm. be, life has a way of bringing you back to what's meant to be. It's so crazy to hear to stop and think about. I don't think we always stop and think about our journey all the time, which is yeah. why I love about this podcast. Cause people start to realize like how their journey has played out. And they're like, Oh yeah. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like you try so hard to, make something not work out. And then yeah. be like, it always finds a way I am going through a breakup with someone that I was long distance with. And we're mm. kind of like, got to that point where like, you're not moving. I'm not moving. We've been together for seven months. And yeah. so it's, it's one of those things where we were like, well, 
I know that you love your career and I love you enough to let you go do that and vice versa. And that's just kind of like, you know, where we're at right now. And so it's been like almost a month since we've broke up and, you know, no communication because we both knew that that would be hard. Uh, And I, and I just felt like if it was meant to be somehow we would get back together in the future, but yeah. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. If, if that relationship was meant to be the relationship, you absolutely will find your way back to each other. And there is a a huge possibility that there are lessons that you'll ultimately have learned in that relationship that are preparing you for the next one. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the one, or maybe that will prepare you for the next one. It's all, it's all pieced together, I think, you know, and I mean, uh, uh, just as far as talking about journeys and difficulties you know the only reason that I ultimately moved to New York is because I got a DUI I got a DUI when I was 18 years old and I lost my license and I was still auditioning and there is no living in LA without a license and I was so ashamed and so embarrassed and I was just like I'm not going to lose a year of my life I don't need a car in New York I'm going to walk everywhere anyway so I got all of my Uh, like community service and all the things that I had to do, I got it transferred to New York and I did everything in New York and I went and I spent that entire year that would have been a lost year because I didn't have my license and I would have been living at my parents' house, ashamed every day, filled with shame every day because I would need to ask for a ride places and couldn't work and couldn't, you know, and I turned it into a year that changed my entire life. I lived, I ended up living in New York for 10 years. I would have, I never would have met Mike. I wouldn't like none of my girlfriends. See, that's an example that I try to tell people on this podcast is, um, cause like, I, you know, I've been through stuff. I was in a car accident and all these things happen and it's so easy to make yourself a victim and just stay in bed all day. Or mm-hmm. you can do something about it. And and this and so, sometimes like these things that happen that you think at that moment is the worst thing in your life. Yeah. Like the DUI, a car accident, a relationship mm-hmm. not working out. Yeah. And at the end of, of it, you'll see later on that that could have been the best thing that happened yeah. to you. And so good or bad, I feel like we need to really try to not analyze things so much and just go, okay, this isn't good or bad. It's just something that happened. It's a learning experience and it's going to get me to where I need to be. I mean, you wouldn't have met Mike. You wouldn't have had your kids if it weren't for that DUI. And at the time you were so ashamed of it, which of course, like it's a DUI, like I get it, but it made you who you are today and got you to where you are today. So that's amazing. Absolutely. I think one of, I think one of the most um, important things that we have to try to do when something doesn't go the way we planned um, is really, it's not easy and it's still not easy, but you almost have to stop mourning the loss of what was, Mm -hmm. you know, stop mourning the loss of the future you thought you were going to have with that person. It's, that future never existed, right? The the future, the world in which I didn't have a DUI, that world never existed. So stop mourning the loss of that life that you thought it was going to be. You get fired from a job that you thought was your ultimate career. That was never going to happen. Stop mourning the loss of that because then you just sit in the loss as opposed to the redirect. 
you're being redirected, right? I'm not, I'm not a God person. I am a universe person. Um, you're being redirected in some way, even when you have huge problems and huge fights and huge things that are changing, you know, whatever you are being shown something so that you make a decision that's putting you on the right path. So it's like, you really have to try to look at like, what is this moment teaching me? What am I supposed to get from this? What's my redirect? Because that other path, boom, it's just stop, stop obsessing over it. It's not happening. Stop obsessing over it. You might need to take this road that curves all the way around and you're going to meet back with this thing. But that road, that exact journey you thought it was going to be, obviously not. So just freaking release it. 100%. I think we get so caught up on a vision. You know, Mm -hmm. you meet somebody and you, and you, or you get a job or you, you know, have this idea in your head and you all of a sudden, uh, I used to do this in relationships all the time where I would go on a few dates with somebody and I would just take what, what they said or what they showed me. And, and most of the time it wasn't even them. Like, it's just like the representative that they show up with and what they want you to see. And I would think I knew them and I would start to vision our future together, or I would have a job where I would just go, okay, this is it. And I have this whole future in my mind planned out. And if it didn't go the way that I envisioned it, oh, I'd be like devastated and, and shut down and, and thank God, like I look at things in such a different way now where I'm like, okay, that didn't work out. It's I I'm human. I have emotions. I cry for a couple of days, but then I go, okay, I mourned it. I'm done. I'm done. And I choose to be happy because it's a choice every day. And so like, that's just, yeah, it's just how you, yeah. And and because what, what you, what all the pain is, is the future that we created in our mind, right? We, we made that leap. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who said this person who all I have right now with this person is a handful of like good dates and good vibes and like fun chemistry. We fill in the blanks yes, of everything else, right? And so we are mourning that loss that we created in our mind. We created it. Exactly. It's, it's like, look at what is actually here today. What's actually in front of me today. What's tangible today. And right now that's really what I'm losing. Okay. So sit in it, feel it, mourn it, cry it, do all the things that you need to do, but don't do it for the future. You filled in the blanks for that ends up in exactly the right, perfect, everything for you. Don't do that because that's just torturing yourself it with a reality that wasn't necessarily real at all. Right. And you know, your path. And, and later on, you're going to realize that like, thank God it didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, you, exactly. You're going to be happy in the end. Everything always works out. So yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, so what is next for you? I know you have, you know, you're, you've got your beautiful family and you're doing your, DIY stuff. So what do you see like in the next few years, where do you want to take that? So right now, um, currently right now, like what's going on these next couple of weeks is, um, I have a podcast called momhood, which is, uh, you know, it's funny because I don't even think a parenting podcast really is the right word because I don't really don't care about 
parenting talk at all. Uh, I co-host it with Brandy Malloy. She cares a lot about parenting stuff. So she really takes the lead anytime we do real parenting content. For me, I'm just really curious about interviewing parents about their story, their experience, um, their career, their childhood. Because what I find so interesting is that the information of someone's childhood so clearly um, sets up what their career life is going to be like, what their family life is going to be like, their ideals of, of what they wanted, what they don't want, all of those things. So we have these really amazing, deep, crazy interviews with parents, men, women across the spectrum, even though it's called momhood, we have men on. We had an amazing interview yesterday with my friend Ryan Brockington, who is a father, who is a gay father with two adopted kids. The story of his sexuality, his adoption process, what all of that looks like is just so fascinating and inspiring. There's so many nuggets to learn from and to relate to. And so momhood is something that I'm working on right now, um, which is, which is a blast. And then the YouTube channel for me has always been a vehicle for the next show. You know, I don't want to be a YouTube star. I'm not trying to be like a YouTuber. Uh, That's definitely not my goal, but the world has changed so much. And I get opportunities where production companies reach out to want to do shows because they saw my YouTube channel, not because they saw me on a national daytime talk show that I've been on for seven years. You know, that hasn't actually done that for me, but my YouTube has. And so right now I'm working with um, a production company on developing two shows. And so we are kind of working on that process right now to see what that's going to be like. Certainly continuing the on-camera work is something I love very much. I feel very connected to it. You know, my purpose, I feel like, is really inspiring people to take full ownership over their life, whether that's the physical space in their life or their careers. It's really about individuality. Stop looking at what everyone else is doing. What do you want to do? What kind of mom do you want to be? What kind of career person do you want to be? How do you want to look? How do you want to present yourself? What is the space you want to live in? Like do it yourself, all of it. I love that. Do it yourself. Like to me, that's really my passion. And so There are things I want to do within the home space, I think would be really, really fun to start creating projects that are within that home space. And I'm writing a book. And so that's been really an interesting journey. It's um, so different than I thought I would, it would be. And, um, and so I'm in the process of writing that now I have an amazing agent who is really the collaboration on the book process is so different than I, than I thought. I mean, she's really helping me find the book. Like, that's, is it a DIY book or is it a book about you and your life? Or? It's it's not a book about my life. It is a little DIY. I mean, the um, there's two books actually. And the first book I had planned on writing feels like a much bigger book. And so we're thinking about having the conversation of making that the second book and starting the first one, which will be about DIY, but it'll be about the purpose of it. It's really about... I want to give you the tools to customize your life. Here are the tools, but this is the, this is why it's so important. You know, I really believe that style, whether it's your home or or your, your clothing style is a language. We are very visual creatures. The visual plane is how we perceive the world to pretend like those things don't matter. You're just lying. You could, you could act like you're too cool to care, but you're still communicating something, whether you agree that you are or not. When someone meets you, 
they are getting an energy off of you. And I actually think it has a lot less to do with the clothing you're wearing than how the clothing you're wearing makes you feel. And that energy emits an energy to someone else. And they receive you in a very particular way based off the energy you're carrying yourself in. So I think that your style is a language. You're communicating to the world at all times about who you are. You should take control of your fucking language. You should speak it clearly know who you are, customize it so that you are very intentional about who you are. And so that's my purpose with all of this. So the DIY book, while there will be how to do all of these things, it, what I really want is to inspire people to do all of these things. I want them to know why they should. I want them to know the reason why embellishing is such a cool thing is it's an opportunity to take a basic and say something to the world about it. How do you want to feel when you put on a cozy sweatshirt? If it currently makes you feel relaxed and at home and you want it to make you feel like JLo, what do you need to do that? Or who's the person? Who's the thing that you want to feel like when you put this on? How do you want to feel? Okay. So what do we need to do to make this piece of clothing make you feel that way? That way, when you walk in to a date or a meeting or go about your day running your errands, you're emitting the energy that not only you want to exist in, but that you want to meet people at, right? Because right? I believe you meet people at a similar energy. So if you really want to be attracting the right opportunities and the right people and the right life, you kind of got to bring yourself to that place. So that's really my like, purpose behind all of this stuff. I really don't care about fashion. I really don't. Um, I really care about how the clothing makes you feel when you put it on and the impact it can have on your life. And the same with your space. Everyone knows what it feels like when you walk into a space that feels like, oh, I wish this is what my living room looked like. Like it makes you feel relaxed and easy and like yourself. And maybe it brings out your sense of humor or it brings out your like sexy side or whatever it is. These spaces, mm -hmm. the visual, when you take it in, it has an impact. So that's a lot of what the book is going to be about. Um, and so it's working on figuring out what should the first book be? Should it be two separate books? Should I try to combine them? So that's really the, the process that I'm, I'm in right now. Um, and I'm also really, really, um, really interested in development. I have a show right now with a chef that I absolutely love that we, I'm just a producer on, I'm an executive producer on, we're getting his show out trying to sell a show for him. I wrote another show that's like a family competition show and I've got the talent attached. I'm not talent. I'm just the creator and the executive producer. So to me, I think there's so many creative facets to me and only some of them actually have a place for me. So I want the ability that if I see something interesting that I've created for myself, another avenue of my career that can fulfill creating that content, even if I'm not the right host or I'm not the right talent, that, that, makes it, that makes my world so much smaller. If I have to be the right talent, my world is this big. If I can just be the brain behind some of the talent, it's, it's literally limitless. I can do whatever the hell I want. So that's kind of, um, those are all of the different things that I feel like I'm looking at. And so as we talked about at the top of the podcast, that's the filter that I'm putting everything through. If an opportunity doesn't fit into that, it's just an easy no. Mm -hmm. You know? I love that. I love that. And Ben and I have, we feel the same way. We've created a couple of shows that we're pitching and one of them before COVID, we, we pitched a couple of times, but 
definitely like not the talent. Uh, one of them I would love to be if it didn't work out that way, because it would involve traveling all mm-hmm. over the world. And like, I want to travel. And so I get that. But if I wasn't, and the other one, we're definitely, neither one of us are, are talent for, um, but we have these ideas and I think, yeah, for, for us to say, oh, if we can't star in it, then it's off the table. Absolutely not. Like we have these ideas and, and I love creating and Ben and I are usually like on the same page when it comes to creating stuff. He's so much fun to work with. So um, I think that, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I love, all the things that you're doing, I feel like I, it all kind of resonates with me and I relate to a lot of the things that, that you do and are working on. And I, I love everything. I love that you're Thanks. reading these books. I can't wait to see how they come out. And I love your whole message about, it's not even about the fashion. It's about yeah. how you feel. It's about the energy you're putting out there, how people look at you. Cause I feel the same. You do get the energy back that you put out there and um so when I put something on I know it's because it's a it kind of reflects how I'm feeling that day exactly I don't really have a set style sometimes I'm more grunge and sometimes I'm really dressed up and sometimes I'm in sweats and sometimes I'm you know in something completely different it just completely depends on my mood that day and yeah um, so I you know I see that people do have like a specific style that they stick to, which is great. I am all over the map. <laughs> I'm the same. Yeah. I'm depends on my day. I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. Um, yeah. I think, you know, one of the things as we're talking about Ben, you know, I think finding collaborators that you really trust and respect is a huge piece of this puzzle for anybody listening that has projects that they want to do. You know, nothing is generally nothing is done on your own and, you know, having collaborators that you can trust, you know, I wouldn't have a YouTube channel if it wasn't for Ben. He worked with me at the beginning, like that show was born with the two of us trying to figure it out together. And even the editing style, like I watched him edit. We sat there editing together. I learned how to edit by watching him. He taught me. Now I edit all my own videos, but it's very much based off what I learned from him. So I think like you really need to find collaborators who not only you are on the same creative or, or or a creative wavelength that's a good fit right you don't have to be the same but a creative wavelength where you each support each other and also a work ethic that is matched a business mind that is matched really try to find those people so that you have someone to bounce your ideas off of that you have someone to take you to the next level you know i'm designing this merch and one of in my mind one of my like slogans in my mind is just dream then do Mm -hmm. it's that simple Mm -hmm. think it up dream it up what do you want and then do it it doesn't need to be perfect at first it doesn't need to be big it doesn't need to have a huge launch a big splash you just dream and then you do step by step by step and i think that's really important for anybody that's listening that feels overwhelmed or feels stifled or sees the end goal and thinks how in the world am i going to get there you just dream up the idea and then start with step 1 just start doing because otherwise you won't ever do it because you'll get too overwhelmed and rely on friends borrow equipment Use the internet to learn how to do stuff. Just do it. Yep. In this pandemic, I I thought, you know, I'm usually too busy to do all these ideas that I 
that I have because I, I was working way overworking myself doing, I love training, but it wasn't, it's not my end goal. And I had, a, I want to do this podcast. I wanted a clothing line. There's so many things I want to do, create these shows. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, I have all these ideas. Everyone has these ideas. The only reason that not everyone follows through is because they don't, they get overwhelmed and they just don't do it. Or they have these ideas and they sit with it and they don't, they don't do it. Yeah. And so I started YouTubing like step-by-step step of how to create a clothing brand and, and what to do with that. And so I, then I had a friend that was in the industry and I, in, in the fitness or the, um, the fashion industry. And so I called him up and I'm not, that's another thing that I've learned in these last few years is I've never been comfortable asking people for help. And yeah. recently I have become very comfortable because I'm like the, the worst they could do is say no. So yep. I, I reached out and he was like, Oh, I would love to help you. And he Beautiful. completely helped me. And I wouldn't have, you know, and Ben is with me on this clothing line and we wouldn't have it if it weren't for my friend that's helping us out with it. And, um, with us, like trying to figure out how to like write a Bible, which, you know, for our show and write, or, and like make like a whole presentation on it, like yeah. a deck. We didn't know what a deck was or what a Bible was. We had to Google it all and we figured it out together. Yep, and exactly. That's just what you have to do. And like with the podcast, like just YouTubing it and figuring it out. Um, and yeah, with Ben editing with him, we did like a documentary short about my accident. And I remember thinking then that was the first time I had worked with him. I'm like, wow, we are so on the mm -hmm. same page that I would say, you know what? And, and then before I could finish my sentence, he was like, yeah, this needs to happen. And exactly. And so we, we just worked so well together and we're so creatively on the same page mm -hmm. and both very driven. And so I think that's why we've like built this partnership together because we work well together. So if yeah. you're out there and you have an idea, you want to do something like ask your friends for help. Like you said, YouTube it, like yeah. the answers are all out there. And instead of being so overwhelmed, like with this clothing, it was like, how do we do this? Do we need to be like an LLC? Do we need to have like a, a resale license? Like what do we, and it was so, and my friend was like, look, I'm going to give you a step-by-step -step that you could totally Google, but I'll give it to you. When you're done with this step, come back. I'll give you yep. your next step. Beautiful. And that, that easy. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, don't yeah. think about like everything. Just think what's step one. Mm -hmm. Okay. You got that done. What's step two? Exactly. It's exactly. I heard, I heard on the interview we had yesterday with my friend, Ryan Brockington, he said something really interesting and he was talking about the adoption journey, but he said, it's, um, it's a game of dominoes, not a waterfall. You know, it's piece by piece by piece by piece that gets knocked down. It's not this constant flowing thing. Like you have to be patient with each step. You have to just knock one down. The next one might take a second before it gets knocked down. Eventually they will all get knocked down and the pattern will present itself, but it's one domino at a time. And, and I think that, yeah, I think it's a really powerful analogy for all of this stuff. You know, it's like just one step at a time. Don't look at that last one, just one step at a time. And, and I mean, the last one should certainly provide inspiration of where you're going, right? A path of where you're going, but don't let it overwhelm you. You know, that that's, what's the point of that? You know, there, there's a girl I'd love to recommend, um, her name is Lacey Phillips. She has a podcast called Expanded, but she also has work and, and I'm like a member. So like I do the monthly thing. Um, but if anybody is 
believes in manifestation, believes in sort of the psychology and the neuroscience piece of it. She does something called neural manifestation. And basically her, her concept is that we manifest from our subconscious beliefs. They're beliefs we don't even know we have, right? They're like, it's like our framework. We don't even know how that framework is built. It's, it's built when we're little kids. It's built off based off what we see in the world, the experiences that we have, good and bad. And it sets up our framework for what we see. Then we have our thoughts. And we think that we manifest from our thoughts, but our thoughts are all over the place every day. So if we did that, we'd be a disaster. So it's the idea that based off neuroscience and psychology and energetics, how do you figure out the areas in your life where you want more and you constantly feel like you're coming up against a wall? There's a block there, something subconsciously that you don't know that you are stopping yourself from moving on to. And so it's a lot of deep work. It's a lot of journaling. It's a lot of hypnosis. It's a lot of those types of things. But to me, I have learned so much about myself. I have made some of the biggest decisions in my life based off that work. I have jumped off some of the biggest cliffs in my life because of that. I've the trust that I've had. So if anyone's curious about that stuff, you can start with the podcast, which is a great resource and really inspirational. And, and then you can move to the work if it's interesting. But I think for anybody who's trying to build something, really knowing how you work is, is really important. And this, to me, this work has been really powerful and helpful. I love that. I'm definitely going to check her out. I see a holistic doctor that does that work with me on my subconscious mind. And then I also yes. have a, um, a hypnotherapist that I see and I I'm so jealous. I mean, there are things that your subconscious tells you that you have no idea, which is exactly. holding you back from, from certain things, you know, in the beginning, uh, my subconscious was telling me that I was unlovable and that I didn't deserve love. Now I didn't think like my conscious mind never would have believed, of course. Of course. Um, but it was trauma that happened from relationships when I was younger. And so it just took a lot of, like you said, journaling, meditation, manifesting, and it, and it was, I was able to overcome it, but yeah. it, uh, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where if you don't really take the time to dive in and do all that hard work on yourself, you might be held back from the things that you potentially could do. So, you know, yeah. a good example for people listening that, you know, that feel like, okay, I don't, you know, unlovable, like that, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go down. You know, I didn't have trauma. I didn't, whatever. A really good example of practically how this comes into play is I grew up in Calabasas. It's a really wealthy town, predominantly white, wealthy, whatever, where I went to high school. Some of the people, some of the kids that I went to high school with whose parents were the most wealthy, I felt like were the biggest assholes. They drove the nicest cars. They didn't seem to appreciate it. You know, my dad, because of the way he grew up, you know, we were very lucky that we got cars, but we made our car payments. We had, you know, like a Honda Civic. It was a great car, but we didn't have a Range Rover, right? We had people with like BMWs and Mercedes and Range Rovers and they just see, and they were, to me, they were assholes. They seemed entitled. So I have a block around becoming rich because I don't want to be an asshole. Right. In my mind, being really rich means you lose perspective of what really matters and you become someone who is an entitled asshole. And I don't want to be that person. So I realized I have a block around money and I want to be making more money. And why do I feel like I'm stuck in the same place? Like I'm doing, I'm doing fine, but I'm making a living that's, I want more. I would like to be making more. 
and realizing that. So it's things that like, sometimes it's not even like a deep childhood wound. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's literally like, why don't I think that I can, you know, why am I not getting the next thing, the next career opportunity? Why am I not bringing in more money? Why do I feel like I'm always attracting clients who offer to pay me the exact same, even though I know I'm worth more? What the hell? So even something like that, like, what was your relationship around money? How did your parents view rich people when you were growing up? You know, like, did you drive by house and think, oh man, those are good people in there? Or were you like, ugh, you know, like even that, you know, is like an interesting thing. So, so it's cool. And it has a lot to do with every aspect, you know, career, love, money, like all the things. Um, but in case that's like a practical example, that can be helpful to sort of like, oh yeah, you know, I think rich people are assholes too. You know, it's like, <laughs> there's something. Okay, yeah. I'm stopping myself from making money. No, it yeah. really makes sense. I love all that stuff. Yeah. It's cool. I love it. Oh, Orly, thank you so much for coming on. I had such a blast with you. And Same. I hope that I get to meet you in person soon. I can't believe that Ben and I have known each other for like seven or eight years. How's this possible? Met you. Yeah, we will. We will. It's on. It'll happen. You will. It'll happen. Thank you so much. And I just thank love you. everything that you're doing. I can't wait to see these books and all the projects that you're working on. So thank you. All right. We'll take all right. care. And Thanks. I will see you soon. Bye. Bye.